Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, our gospel for today, this third Sunday of Advent, is taken from the third chapter of St. Luke. It's a very dramatic scene. Inspired by the asceticism and powerful preaching of John the Baptist, people are coming out to the desert seeking repentance. People from all walks of life, all social status, tax collectors, soldiers, ordinary people. You know what strikes me, first of all? Up and down the ages, whenever a clear and unambiguous call for repentance is heard, people respond. Back in the 70s, Time Magazine had a series where they asked famous people around the time of the bicentennial, they asked famous people to say something to America, kind of a one-liner, what they want Americans to know or to feel or to hear. And they asked Dorothy Day, the great founder of the Catholic Worker Movement, what would you say to America on its 200th anniversary? She said, repent. The call to repentance, when it's clear, forceful, unambiguous, will always meet with a response. You know why? Because deep down, as I said last week, we all know that we are in exile. We all know in our bones, no matter how successful we are, no matter how admired we are, we know that somehow we've wandered from the right path. We're not the person God wants us to be. And so when someone says, like John the Baptist, repent, repent, change, we respond. I think, by the way, if I can editorialize a little bit, I think in the years since the Council, the Church has not issued that command sufficiently. A big part of evangelization is calling people to conversion, calling people to repentance, doing just here what John does. And so with great enthusiasm, the people come out to the desert to see him. And they ask, as if their lives depended upon it, what should we do? I love love the clarity and simplicity of that exchange. John saying, repent, and the people saying, what should we do? I like that. There's no obfuscation here. There's no fancy dancing. There's no abstract theologizing. It's a very simple exchange. Change. Okay, what should I do? That's a very good Advent question, isn't it? What should we do? Notice, too, the stress on action. Conversion is not simply a velleity, not simply a wish, not simply a change of mind and heart. 
Repentance and conversion have to do with action. Our lives have gotten off the rails in different ways. We need to do certain things to get them back. I was thinking of my friend, uh, Father Tom O'Connor, my Irish friend. I just saw him a few weeks ago. He was visiting this country. He said, don't listen to what people say. Watch what people do. That's a good principle, by the way. <laughs> covers a lot of ground. At the end of the day, it's not speech that matters so much. It's action. And so, John tells them. Now let's attend very carefully to what he says. John recommends very specific and very concrete acts of justice. What should I do? How do I, how do I repent? He mentions certain basic acts of justice. And here he stands, as Jesus himself said, in the long line of Hebrew prophets. John is the last of the prophets. Read Amos, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel, Zechariah. All of them in various ways. Tell the Israelite people to be just. In my lifetime, certainly, we put a great stress on sexual sin and the need to be upright sexually. Now, I'm not for a moment saying that's a bad idea. I'm all in favor of sexual correctness, sexual uprightness. But can I suggest, in the biblical perspective, if anything is first, it's justice. You will hear the prophets talking about sexual sin. Yes, indeed. But it won't be the first of their concerns. The first is to be just. Listen now what John says. Whoever has two cloaks should share with the person who has none. Okay, I need to repent. Tell me what I should do. Well, there's the first thing. You got two cloaks? Yeah? Give one to the person who has none. So good, isn't it? So basic, so elemental, and almost thoroughly ignored. You know, in the church's social teaching, we find this constant reminder. Though private property is legitimate, private property is a social good, the use of our private property must always have a social orientation. When it comes to the use of what we own, we must always have uppermost in mind the common good. Here's Pope Leo XIII in Rerum Novarum. Quote, If the question be asked, how must one's possessions be used? The church replies without hesitation that man should not consider his material possessions as his own, but as common to all. That's extraordinary, isn't it? How should I use my money? How should I use my wealth? In the consideration of that question, one must always imagine one's possessions, not as one's own, but as common. Then this startling line from Pope Leo, I think very effective for an examination of conscience. Quote, When necessity and seemliness have been satisfied, 
There's a duty to use what is over to relieve the poor. Ah, that's Pope Leo XIII talking to all of us in this wealthy society, this affluent society. Once the basic needs of life have been met, okay, seemliness, you're living in a, in a proper way, whatever's left over doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the poor. Two of the church fathers, John Chrysostom and Ambrose of Milan, expressed this idea even more radically in tones that directly echo John the Baptist. Quote, If you have two shirts in your closet, one belongs to you, the other belongs to the man who has no shirt. Extraordinary, isn't it? What must I do? Perform this fundamental act of justice. Give away some of your goods to those who are needier than you. Friends, in some ways this is very easy to do. We all know people who are in need. We all know charities that are asking for our donations. Do something this Advent. Next we hear the tax collectors come to see John. I've told you often, you know this of course, that tax collectors were specially despised. Tax collector was kind of a watchword, a byword for corruption and oppression. What does John tell them to do? Listen. Stop collecting more than what's prescribed. Well, that's, of course, what they did. That's what a tax collector did. He would skim money off the top. He would use his power and influence to extort money from people. John is telling them to cut that out. To be, in other words, economically just. Do not take advantage of people using your power. Friends, here's a good question for us. What's the quality of our economic life? Do we directly or indirectly take advantage in our business practices of those less fortunate, less powerful? Do you? Bankers, financiers, investors, corporate executives, those who manage and use money in different ways, What's the moral quality of your economic life? How are your decisions in this area affecting not just your pocketbook, but the lives of real people, especially the disadvantaged? Oh, it's a very good examination of conscience. We contemporary tax collectors, perhaps. Finally, soldiers come to him. There were a lot of different kinds of soldiers in the Palestine of Jesus' time. We hear about the Romans frequently. There also were temple guard, local militias of Herod Antipas and others. There were a lot of soldiers wandering around. You know, by our standards, most of them were probably bully boys. Young, reckless, armed, and given a little bit of authority. Maybe the Roman soldiers had a certain you know, order and discipline, but I think a lot of the soldiers wandering around were tough guys. Oh, we might see them as, as gang members today. What's their constant temptation? The temptation of powerful people up and down the centuries. What Augustine called the libido dominandi, the lust to dominate. When you are given a little authority, you are given some power, and especially if you're armed, it is very tempting 
to use that authority and power to manipulate, dominate, extort from others. So John tells them, quote, Do not practice extortion. Do not falsely accuse anyone. Be satisfied with your wages. Again, bracing in its simplicity, isn't it? He names the classic strategies and techniques of powerful people. You got arms and some authority and some power, you tend to extort from others. Get the money you want. Think of a think of a mobster today. It's the same principle. Don't falsely accuse people. Boy, how contemporary that sounds, doesn't it? In so many different areas. If you got some power, you can falsely accuse people. You can manipulate them. You can dominate them. More to it, he says, be satisfied with your wages. See, the constant temptation of powerful people, then and now, is, hey, I can use my power to get more money. I can use my power to increase my economic status. How do you use power? There's the question. There are a lot of powerful people listening to me. Economically powerful, politically powerful, culturally powerful. How do you use it? Power is a gift from God. Its purpose is to be an instrument of love. The purpose of power is to better the lives of others. Ask yourself that question. How am I using my power? To extort, to dominate, to manipulate, or to liberate? What must I do? We ask John the Baptist, and that age-old answer comes back. Do the works of justice. And that's a terrific way to prepare for the coming of the Lord. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries serving the Catholic community since 1837.